This morning we're going to hear from Maxine and from Alana, and then we're going to receive um, we're going to receive receive Ian and Jane to come speak this morning. So God bless you, Maxine. Would you like to come first? Awesome. This is Maxine, everybody. Um, so I wrote an email, so I'm just going to read out what actually was a Facebook message, so I'm just going to read out what happened. Um, so I just want to he- share a praise God thing that has happened in my life. Ten years ago, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, and I've been in a fog and pain for that time. Um, each time I went to the doctor, they increased my meds. Um, so much so that I was on so much that I could shake. All that came to a head about two months ago and I just said, enough's enough. This can't carry on. I don't want to be like this. And um, it was a real moment where I just went, no, no more. So I went back to my doctor and my doctor decided, let's do some blood tests. So in the blood tests, they... uh, kept doing more blood tests and more blood tests and they just kept realising that my pain levels were actually increasing each time that I was getting a blood test. So they said, I wonder if you've been misdiagnosed. So they, um, he put me on a course of prednisone and um, I've had no pain since. In fact, so much so that I have been up and down Papamoa Hill um, a, about a year ago, it would have taken me a good hour just to climb the Papamoa Hill. I now can climb it in 37 minutes. So, yeah. Good morning, church. Um, so Kristen asked me a few weeks ago if I'd be prepared to share a bit of a testimony of... Um, when, you know, the fire of God has fallen in my life. And it's actually been really cool just to kind of think back and um, remember some times and remember some people and remember some events that have um, taken place. But um, I just thought I'd share a little bit of my testimony and kind of when I really first um, felt the fire of God. So I was saved back in 1994. Um, So I had just turned 15. Um, Didn't grow up in a Christian home, um, pretty pretty normal childhood, nothing to sort of, you know, <laughs> nothing that really leaps out. Um, and basically I was at school and I had some some girls at my school that invited me to a youth group and I didn't know these girls particularly well. Um, I kind of, you know, knew them. Um, at that time I was with a group of friends that, you know, um, who were not good and where they were sort of headed was not to a good place. Um, and so I knew I needed to get out of that. So, um, so I went to this youth group. It was um, a little Presbyterian youth, youth group um, in a tiny, cold, wooden church hall. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know the ones. Um, and I don't know, there must have been 15, 20, 20 young people there. Nothing, you know, nothing dramatic, nothing um, particularly particular particularly spectacular about it. It was pretty pretty low-key, but um, the youth leader at the time just shared a real um, real simple, basic, but truthful gospel message. And 
Um, and it really just hit home with me, and I knew that I needed this Jesus. So um, at that time, I gave my heart to the Lord. Um, again, nothing spectacular, but I knew that Jesus had my heart. So um, we carried on, um, became a youth leader, got involved in church, met my husband, um, and um, a couple of youth groups merged at that point. And, um, and so it was quite big, quite thriving youth ministry. Um, we were taken up to an event up in Auckland by our youth pastor, and I thought that it was just like a church conference where we might, um, you know, learn how to lead young people, maybe learn a few extra games that we might be able to play, maybe an icebreaker, you know, learn some new things. Um, but this event was Redline, so you would have heard Kristen talking about Redline and um, those events that have taken place all over the nation. Um, so we headed up to this event on the Friday night and we actually arrived late. So we arrived at the end of the meeting in the ministry time. Um, we walked into the back of this thing and I completely freaked out because what was taking place was nothing that I had ever seen before. It was nothing I had experienced. Um, there were people on the floor. There were people falling over. There were people laughing, crying, shouting. People were being prayed for. It was just, it was absolute carnage. And I freaked out to the point where I actually had to step out and kind of stand in the foyer and I... Um, I, I didn't know what to do with it. Like, I'd heard about Holy Spirit, and I had, um, you know, we I had some really awesome Bible teaching, but it was kind of like that's what happened back in the day, you know? It wasn't what happens now. And um, while I was standing out in the foyer, um, I was just praying, going, God, I, I don't know quite what to do with this. Is this a cult? Is this, like, I, I honestly didn't know what to do with it. And um, at that time, God had been speaking to me from that verse um, in Second Chronicles 16, how it talks about the eyes of the Lord, you know, roaming to and fro across the earth, looking for hearts that are turned towards him. And um, I felt reminded of that verse while I was standing there. And I said, okay, God, if this is you, then I'm all in. If it's not, then please protect me. And um, <laughs> But basically, I made that call then that if it was God, then, yep, okay, you know, you need to do what you need to do. So we came back the next day, and, um, and it was amazing. So, you know, worship worship like I had never experienced before, um, being prayed for like I'd never experienced, and just the whole weekend um, just being called to step up into a, into a higher place, which had never, never happened before. Um, you know, I spent, um, you know, a lot of that time struggling as well because, you know, there's a lot going on, and myself, I'm a quieter kind of a person. I don't like, well, it's not that I don't like it, but I'm, I'm quiet. I, lo I love people, but I also love for people free time. <laughs> um, I, um, you know, I'm not overly loud, and, you know, I got kind of in my head a little bit that, you know, God was only touching your life if you're falling over or if you're, um, you know, um, laughing or whatever. Um, I'm sure I would have spent a lot of crime, time crying because that tends to be my thing. Um, but, um, you know, God really spoke to me that weekend too that it actually turns out you don't need all of that and that God actually still works on the quiet ones. And personally, I think that sometimes the quiet ones are slightly more dangerous. Um, and But it's actually okay, you know, it's actually okay to be one of the quiet ones. And I know there's a few of us here and, yep, it's okay. Um, so I tried to 
pinpoint, like the whole weekend really was the fire of God for me, but I tried to pinpoint a particular moment that um, where, you know, the moment, and I honestly think it was when I was out in the foyer on that Friday night where I said yes to God and, um, you know, let him do what he needed to do. Um, and I can honestly say that, like, my life has not been the same since that weekend. I don't actually, I was trying to think what year it was, I don't actually remember, but um, 90, no, it would have been later than that, maybe 95, 96, I only got saved in 94. Um, anyway, um, but yeah, honestly, my life has not been the same since that weekend, and, um, you know, obviously it's been a huge journey, um, and, like, along the way, I think I've just learnt that, you know, the fire of God is going to fall when the fire of God falls. He's going to move how he wants to move. He's going to move in who he wants to move in, how he wants to do it. And, yes, it absolutely comes at a cost, but I've just kind of worked out that actually that's okay. Yeah. Who's next? <laughs> it's my wife. <laughs> I love, um, I love the all-in. Let's be people that are all-in. You know? Wow. Let's, let's be people that are all-in. No, no other options on the table. Yeah, yeah. So good. Well, Ian and Jane, like, uh, like Kristen was saying out in the prayer meeting, you, you guys are a part of our family and we, uh, we love having you. We, we love having you as part of the family. You know, we, we love that you're around and we love that you, 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 you make yourselves at home and that, that you're, you're part of us. And uh, it's our joy and privilege to have you guys as part of the family. But, but also, um, more than that, today, we want to receive you as, uh, as the gift that you are to us as a, a family, you know? So, um, so church, let's, uh, let's welcome Ian and Jane this morning. And, uh, <clears throat> and you know, Ian and Jane, we, we receive you. We receive you today in the name of Jesus. Jane didn't want to come up just yet. She might come up later. Um, I'd like to... It's Juliet, isn't it? Juliet, can you just come and sing and do whatever God's given you? I just saw her as um, I was sitting down and she was taking a seat and the Lord just said she's got something from heaven. Um, So the poor child gave her a little bit of notice, not much. (laughs) So go ahead, dear. I'll get out of the way. Um, so I was kind of thinking over some songs, and I think I'm going to sing I Surrender All, if you guys would like to sing with me. It's really old. Everyone knows it. So, yeah, just sing. Sing to him. I Oh, 
children and we thank you that you see us and you love us and we can trust you with our lives Jesus so I give my life to you fresh Lord knowing that you're good and that you love us and I thank you for your presence in our lives Jesus and us that it would in every life in this room that your presence would increase <laughs> however you want to show up Jesus show up I give you all the glory and the honor and the praise and you're worthy Jesus you're worthy you alone are worthy Jesus I love you Amen Oh, there we are. There's the message. We can all sit down now. <laughs> I surrender all in your presence. And if you haven't surrendered your heart to Jesus, what a wonderful time to do it. Today is the day of salvation, isn't it? Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His precious blood can wash us clean from all sin. And give us a fresh start. It's so important um, to hear the word of the Lord. There's um, a lot of noise. <laughs> As you're breaking through the sound barrier, there's lots of noise. There's noise of yourself. 
freaking out, <laughs> given all the reasons why you shouldn't be flying. There's the noise of the enemy speaking quite loudly. And of course, when you break through into that realm, when you're caught up, you actually get to hear the voice of the Lord. That's really helpful. Um, John 12, verse 24. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn to it. This is Jesus answering them and saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. How many like to be transformed by his glory? Three of you. Okay. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world shall keep it into eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me where I am. There shall be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. But my soul has become troubled. And what, I, what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Unless a seed of grain falls to the ground and dies. What good can come out of death? Resurrection life. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Jesus had to die for resurrection power to raise him from the dead. Our whole faith and hope has to be in the resurrection from the dead. If it isn't, our entire preaching is in vain because the whole purpose is that Christ rose from the dead. <laughs> Some of you look like you need a bit of it. <laughs> Resurrection power brings that which is dead back to life, doesn't it? Yes. The seed must fall to the ground and die. How would you like to be um, full of resurrection power? Die. <laughs> die to your ambition. Die to your selfishness. Die to the world. Die to everything. Die to sin. Death to sin. Death to ambition, which the Bible says selfish ambition is demonic. It means death. The cross is a place of death. No longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. To find your true identity, most people struggle with it. They're rushing around, performing, striving, trying to do something for God, winding themselves like a two-bob watch. The springs inside them is just going to go pop, pop, pop. They drive people. They don't lead them. They actually uh, have never entered a place of rest. They are literally performing. The Bible says the obedient enter the rest. Cease striving to know that I'm God. To find true identity, you must die to who you think you are and to be risen by Christ, to be reformed by the master potter into the vessel that he created you to be. You no longer need to perform for someone else. You no longer need, you need to be adopted by the Spirit of God. And that doesn't happen when you die. That happens when you get born again. You don't wait to find the Father when you die. You find him now. 
There's a whole bunch of theology running around about that crazy teaching. You can be literally a son and daughter now. How many would like to be reparented? None of you. We're orphans at heart. The Bible says that, but his spirit of adoption, where Christ will come and adopt us. And you find your true father. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the father. I and the father are one. Christ in me, the hope of glory. If you can die to yourself, you actually might find yourself. It's a really bizarre thing. takes an incredible amount of striving, performance, and, and stress out of your life. That means you don't have to do anything. There you go. Except to be loved. If you find the love of God, the Bible says, and Paul spoke it in Ephesians, he said that you'd be rooted and grounded in love, that you know the height, the depth of that love that surpasses knowledge, that you might enter the love of God. Do you realize a parent loves a child no matter what the heck they do? They can be absolute loony tunes and the, and the parents will still love them. God still loves you no matter how mucked up, broken and smashed and stupid you are. He even loved you while you're a rotten, degenerate sinner. So therefore, the love of God is the anchor for your soul. If you're rooted and grounded in love, you have your identity in love. You enter the rest. What on earth can you do to improve your Father in heaven's love for you? What can you do? Save more souls, do more miracles, plant more churches, call down heaven. Excuse me, nothing that you do is going to improve his love for you. Because he loves you whether you do nothing. There we are, there's the rest right there. If you can get that one truth, everything you do is out of a place of rest. You can do nothing apart from me. So if therefore if Christ is not in you as a place of rest, and all you do is just hay, straw and stubble. It'll all be burnt up. It'll all amount to nothing. It'll be a complete waste of time. Striving after the wind. You realize the seed doesn't have to do anything. It just drops into the ground and dies. Shock, horror. God's created inside that seed to germinate. The first thing that goes down is the root. Then it shoots. And you can't do a thing to save that seed because you're going to have to have the rain from heaven to look after it and water it. <laughs> and you can't bear fruit. Fruit bears because of the seed. The, what's in the seed will bear fruit. You can't help but bear fruit because you're a tree of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. You've died to yourself. You've allowed the Lord to plant you. You can't help but bear fruit. All you've got to do is make sure that he prunes you. <laughs> he waters and fertilizes you. And all you have to do is look at the sun. And all you can do is grow. 
And fruit will come not because you're trying to say, I need to be fruitful. They'll come because you have to bear fruit if you're with and connected and rooted in love, grounded in the Father, by the streams of living water, allowing Him to literally cleanse you, wash you, prune you, and to fertilize you. In fact, out of ashes, when the fire comes and burns all up the rubbish, the farmers used to use the ash as fertilizer. And some seeds are so hard they need fire to actually germinate them. He turns our mourning into joy. Our ashes can become, how many know we, we need a refining fire to purify and burn up the ashes? Well, that's okay. God can even take the ashes of your life and purify them and allow them to drop around the roots and actually fertilize you. This is none of my notes, but it's in there somewhere. The love of God, love of Christ compels me. One died for all and no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. The love of Christ compels us. Philippians 3.10, that I might know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, conformed to his death. Most people just want the fellowship, the power of his resurrection. They don't want to know the fellowship of his suffering or being conformed to his death. They just want to drop those two bits of it. How many of you go, suffering produces what? Some character, doesn't it? What can separate me from the love of God? A little bit of suffering, but a tribulation, sword, famine, nakedness, peril, someone backstabbing you, lying about you, crushing you, kicking you in the teeth when you're down, and those are Christians. We haven't got to the enemy yet. <laughs> it to you, Brutus. Kill the wounded. Speak against them. You know what God does? He looks at us, sees the goodness in our heart, sees that you're pretty mucked up, and sees the potential. What do Christians do? See all the stuff in you and write you off. Do you see from his eyes or do you see from man's eyes? What eyes are you looking at? Do you see hope, future, set free, delivered, radiant glory, absolutely full of destiny, or do you see a write-off? Take a look at yourself. <laughs> How merciful was God to look after you and save you, you rotten mess. So to the level that you've allowed God's mercy and grace to come to you, be merciful and gracious to other people. Those who have been forgiven much actually love much. Those who have been forgiven little love little. So get a revelation of your sin. See how mucked up, and that's where they used to have, it's a mercy seat. Before they actually led them to the Lord, many of the old preachers used to get them waiting upon the Lord to find out first conviction of sin. Bringing about true repentance, godly sorrow, and salvation. Half the time they wouldn't lead them to the Lord until they figured out that they were actually sinners in the hands of not an angry God, because he wasn't angry. He was angry at the sin he loved them. You've got to be very careful with preaching on the sinners and an angry God. God's not angry, it's yet you. It's not his character. He actually loves you. Oh, dear God. Somehow we're supposed to represent the Lord. I don't know how we do it some days. I have no idea. 
And thank God it's a book of life. <laughs> this, is a, this is not a book of death. This is a book of life. It's a book of life. We come to a river of life. There is a tree of life, trees of life. <laughs> he wants to give us abundant life, resurrection life, and eternal life. These are all good things, isn't it? <laughs> it's in here. And we need to be what? The burnt offering. In Leviticus 6.13, there was a burnt offering. There was a grain offering. There was a sin offering. It was burnt up. had to be completely consumed. Thank God the sin gets completely consumed in a burnt offering. The grain offering, we are to offer the, ourselves. We're seeds, aren't we? What do seeds do? They die. Then they bear more seeds. What does a farmer do? He comes in and harvests the seeds, doesn't he? Then he puts them on a the threshing floor to get rid of the chaff. Then he crushes the seed to make it into flour. That means your seed alone isn't going to be much use to make bread. You need a bit more. So he comes into the church, gets a whole bunch of seeds and says, right, I'm going to crush the whole lot of you <coughs> together. You're going to love that. And then I'm going to bake you. <laughs> Some of us are half-baked anyhow. And bake you, not too hot, not too... We've got to get you to be bake, baked. Some of it's leaven, some of it, you know what I mean? And then we're going to actually use you as a bread of life to feed others. So the next generation picks up the mantle and says, I want to be a seed, I want to fall to the ground, I want to be a fruit, and here we go. Now vessels fall into dust, and thank God, absent from the body, present with the Lord, to me to live as Christ to die as gain, I can't wait to get out of here. How many on the other side of the bell-shaped curve? Going, going, nearly gone. <laughs> Use by date. <laughs> Gee, you don't get any of this, do you? Yeah. Enter the rest. Find your identity. Stop listening to the noise of everyone else. People have got a plan for your life, including pastors, leaders, elders, and churches. Thank God his plan is a lot better than any of those. And the job of the fivefold is to find out what plans that the people have been given by God, somehow try and work it together for good, and if they actually stood back and watched it, they may fly higher. Stop having a plan for someone else's life. It's called manipulation, domination, and control. They're sick to death of your plans. Yep. Let them find God and find what plan he has for them. That would free them up, free you up from having to do anything, and free you up just to watch them fly. Get this into your brain. Enter his rest. Joshua had to be told. Moses tried to tell him. Joshua 1.13, God will give you rest. And he'll also give you the land. Moses never got it. He never entered the rest. He didn't enter the promised land. Joshua did. 
Rest in the Lord and wait. Psalm 37 verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait. Patience is a great virtue. <laughs> Patience. Yeah. Psalm 116 verse 7. Return to the Lord and return to the rest for your soul. Isaiah 11.2, the spirit of the living God rested upon Jesus. Holy Spirit is like a dove. He rests. If he doesn't find a place to rest, he gets a little bit slacked off and flies away. And so often we have God's, God's not here and we don't know it. You need to know God is here and we do know it and we need to know when God's not here. That's called discernment of the Holy Spirit. If you are one with him and are learning to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, learning to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you'll figure out whether it's the word of the Lord or just a bunch of talk. Hopefully the trap door doesn't open up and it's just a bunch of talk, you know. <laughs> Some days I wonder. I got this sermon literally in the, it was in the worship. Because I couldn't hear the word of the Lord. The Bible says in Amos, it's interesting. Um, I'm going to turn to it. I think it is the word of the Lord. <laughs> in Amos chapter... Um, chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea, from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, and they will not find it. So there's a, there has been incredible confusion in hearing the word of the Lord in these last 18 months, two years. Incredible. What it's doing is shaking all the foundations of who we've looked to, who we've trusted him. It's interesting in Jeremiah, and this, this the Lord highlighted to me today, audibly, he spoke it to me. He said, um, he said, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into fruitility. They speak a vision out of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. This is Jeremiah 23, verse 16. Do you realize it's all been done before? Jeremiah the prophet is warning about prophets that are around speaking out of their own imaginations speaking out of their own fertility and it's a joke they keep saying you know keep saying you'll have peace and everyone actually is working in the stubbornness of their own heart but calamity won't come upon you prosperity is going to be great it's all wonderful and actually it's all turning to custard verse 21 i didn't send these prophets but they ran i didn't speak to them but they prophesied but if they had stood in my council, they'd have announced to you my, the words to my people. They'd have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. For I'm a God who is near. That's good, that's good isn't it? I'm a God who's near. I'm not a, a God far off. Can a man hide himself in hiding places? Do I not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? I heard what the prophets have been prophesying falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. I've had a few of those. They're speaking out of the deceptions of their own heart. 
But my word is, isn't it like fire? It's like a hammer that shatters a rock. And behold, I'm against the prophets who steal words from each other. Oh my gosh, I've seen that too. Stealing from each other. I'm thinking, who are these loony tunes? What false prophecies? Does someone got the guts to stand up and say, your prophecies, you, you find out 50 prophecies, one of them's right. What's the onus upon us as believers? Test it. The two or three other prophets have a go at it. That's if there are any prophets in your house. If you have them, the Bible says, honor the prophets in your house and have ears to hear, listen to them. Don't just let them tickle your ears, listen to them. On the prophet, you get a prophet's reward. So you hear, where are our prophets in our house? Who is hearing the word of the Lord? And we must test it ourselves because we need to come directly towards the Lord ourselves, aren't we? Okay, I'll get off that one. You're all getting a bit worried. So let's go in here. Authority, another word that came through this morning was authority. And, and so authority is an incredible, incredibly important, isn't it? So Esther, what did she do? Esther 5, verse 1 to 3. Vashti, the wife of the king, completely wouldn't submit to under the authority of her own husband, wouldn't get dressed up and come beautifully, so we get an Esther turn up through Mordecai. And then, of course, Esther goes and petitions the king. He reaches out his golden scepter in the throne room, and the king says, you can have up to half the kingdom. Well, that authority, that was a scepter of authority, you can have half the kingdom. Okay, do we want to be an Esther? Well, of course, for such a time as this, in the same way, yeah, potentially. But isn't it better in the New Testament, in Matthew 28, we have in verse, is it, um, verse 18, all authority, not half, not half, all authority is given. And what's the onus? Come into the throne room before the Lord, into the Holy of Holies, and reach out and allow God who gives the authority, not mankind, That God gives you authority. They said, who is this guy Jesus? Well, he teaches with authority. Who gave it to him? Well, the Father. <laughs> but Jesus also said, I'm a man under authority. Didn't he? Who was he under the authority of? Heavenly Father. The centurion, he was under the authority of? Great faith. Under the Roman governance at the time. So it's important to understand authority within the church, the authority that God's given, and to come under authority, but also be re really understanding your, your ultimate authority is under who? The Father. I and the Father are one. I've come to the Father. I've been adopted as a spirit of adoption to become a son of God. But we must test our direction with others within the house because if we love one another, they'll know that you're my disciples because you love one another. That means you have to have a relationship with one another. That means you actually have to talk to them and get to know them. <laughs> Dear God. We have authority, the Bible says, to forgive. Jesus had it. God's given me authority to forgive. Isn't that really nice that you can forgive others? And they can forgive you, hopefully. <laughs> you can forgive. One of the most powerful things, God the Father came to forgive us. How would you like to have authority to forgive? I forgive you. 
Forgive me, Father in heaven, of all my sins. We have authority over unclean spirits. Authority to execute judgment. But guess what? Mercy triumphs over judgment. So be very careful when you're petitioning God in the throne room that you're not operating out of judgment. You might think you have that authority, and you do, but if you know the heart of God, you're not operating out of judgment, you're operating out of mercy. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Did you get what I just said? So many of them are operating out of judgment and it's out of anger and desire for justice. But how many know Jesus didn't get justice? He laid his life down. What justice? Some people fight for the land for justice. You realize you can wait, you can wait. There's, this, if you're going to fight for something that is your home, you will fight for it. But if you are no longer of the world, but you're in the world, but not of the world, and your home is in heaven, and that's where your destiny, and that's where your inheritance, and that's where your land is, and it's my, the kingdom's not of this world, you won't fight for this world, you'll fight for what's in heaven. And the only way you get there is dying. <laughs> <laughs> the only way you're going to get into the new heavens and the new earth is dying. So what will you die for? What will you lay your life down for? The kingdoms of this world, when Jesus got offered it, he wasn't interested. He said, I didn't come for this world because this world's going to pass with fire. It's all going. I've come to save my people and put the kingdom of heaven inside them. Kingdom of heaven's within you. The Pharaoh, the, the religious leaders were worried about trying to establish the kingdom here on earth. They were so worried about their, the rule of Rome, the authority of Rome, the power, the majesty, the, the Caesar. And you know what Jesus did? He didn't bow to any of it, but he said, give to Caesar what he wants. He wants the money, give it to him. But I am not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. So kingdom now, dominion theology, is straight from the pit of hell. Because it's going to sidetrack you trying to save this world when you're actually not trying to save the world, you're trying to save the people in the world. Because the kingdoms of this world will pass. Read the Old Testament prophets. Everything will be shaken. Every kingdom will fall. It's not going to get rebuilt and become some wonderful run by Christians and governments and Christians in power and Christians in money and Christians in education. What an absolute daydream. Do you want to hear the word of the Lord? Or do you just want to have your ears tickled and listen to some other dribble that's been spoken out there by false prophets? Oh, God, don't you love me? Has anyone got ears to hear? Anyone got half a brain to think it through? I have created a new heaven and a new earth. This earth will pass away. How long is a millennial reign of a thousand years before it gets destroyed? In the eyes of God, one day. In the light of eternity, nothing.
going, going, gone. What with? The fire of God. Why would he make all things new? Do you think that God can just speak and create a new heaven? He already has. I've seen it. Can he just speak and create a new earth? Yep. How long did it take him? Didn't take him seven days or six days or five days. He spoke and it came into existence. He's also got authority over all of mankind. He's got authority to reprove, which most of us won't do because we only want positive, encouraging, uh, sucking up, boot-licking, idolatrous type stuff. Give honour to where honour's due, but don't you dare just honour for the sake of honouring. That's called flattery. And if you aren't willing to reprove, teach, correct, then you literally have got no idea what a prophet's voice is. You dishonour God by actually not speaking truth. And if you honour man to the place of idolatry, you lift him up to become infallible. And that's not true. Every single man's going to stuff it up and get it wrong. Including me, shock horror. You admitted you get it wrong. Yes. Trust me, I'll find 10,000 Christians out there ready to bring their swords on me. So I share my words with fear and trembling. <laughs> I've been around it long enough. Do you want to compare scars? Show and tell. It's the dummies who want to get up here and hold this. Anyone who wants this, you better be sure God's told you to hold this thing or you don't want to be up here. Because you're going to become a target, not from just the Antichrist and the, and the spirit of Jezebel and witchcraft and sorcery and every other demon. You're going to have all the demons that are in the church have a go at you. <laughs> Greatest principalities and powers are not outside. They're in the house. Satan knew if he can't beat it, he might as well join it. So if you know nothing about spiritual warfare, figure that one fact out. Satan knows how to enter the church quite easily and wreck it. And are you an instrument to bring healing, truth, and revelation, or are you an instrument to bring destruction, division, and, and antichrist? It's all to do with striving. It's all to do with the rest. It's all to do with identity. It's all to do with how rooted and grounded you are in the love of God. Does your voice have to be heard? Good. Do they have to listen to you? And if they don't, how do you react? Thank God. No one asked me my opinion. Come up here. It's another whole revelation. Once you get through the sound barrier, you actually get up into the high and lift it up. What did Paul say? I came to know the Lord. Through a revelation of Jesus Christ, we're on the road to Damascus. He was blinded by the light. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1 to 4. He said, I'll go into visions and revelations, but I'll go about in the spirit. A man was caught up into the third heaven. How would you like to be caught up into the third heaven? One, two, three. 
How would you like to have visions and revelations of God? How many know Ephesians say that when we come to church, we're supposed to bring them? Corinthians says it. Bring a revelation, Psalm him, a revelation from God. It also talks about how um, in Ephesians 1.17, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then why at the, be- at the end of the Bible, we've got 22 chapters of a revelation of Jesus Christ. Not the Antichrist, not the mark of the beast, not the seven trumpets, not the pearls, not the seals being opened. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. If you get that and that alone, you'll understand the book of Revelation from Revelation place. The whole key to it has been caught up in the Spirit. There's a door open in heaven, Revelations 4, came up and what did he saw? He saw the song that you guys just sang. Worthy is the Lamb. A rainbow like a sapphire around the throne. Worthy is the Lamb to receive honour and glory. And the elders were throwing their crowns before him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The, the key to all of this is getting into the throne room and presence of God and actually meeting with him. Face to face. The whole thing about a of authority is coming in and seeing the king of glory seating there with his train filling the temple. Holy, holy, majesty, angelic, living creatures to be here, sea of glass. But we've got us walking before the Lord, coming up to him and actually climbing up on his lap if need be because we need to know the father. Him healing and loving and encouraging you and strengthening you, your identity, your whole person, holding you close. And then from a heavenly perspective, looking down upon the church from heaven. And he always saw something good in the church from heaven. Always. There's always some redeeming thing good. They hang on to the word. They've gone through testings. They, they, they test the apostles. They've left their first love, but, you know, they're doing quite good otherwise, you know. There were different parts of how he saw. Paul was, John was seeing the beloved, seeing the kingdom of heaven from a heavenly perspective. How important it is as Christians to get out of the earthly issues and the earthly problems and actually get caught up and see the eternal perspective through the eyes of Jesus. Lord, give me your eyes. Give me your heart. Give me your revelation. Let me see from that perspective where you are high and lifted up. You are in the realm of glory. You're going quiet on me, man. Where is my notes? They're in here. We've got to be so careful to understand what the ultimate goal is. Is the ultimate goal revival? No. Is the ultimate goal the fire of God? The ultimate God is a relationship with him (laughs) and an eternal love. My beloved is mine and I am his. He's put a seal upon my heart that's stronger than death. I have the resurrection life of Christ in me. I can do nothing apart from him and I've entered the rest. Then you become quite dangerous. Because wherever you are, the kingdom of God's within you should flow like a river because you're tapped into the river of life. At any stage, the fire of heaven can come upon you because you literally got the all-consuming fire of Christ in you. My heart's on fire. Lord, let my eyes literally begin to touch in in a split second and let my eyes become eyes of fire. 
Give me ears to hear, eyes to see, heart to know. At any stage to be at rest in whatever position that God has me. Whether I'm in waiting on the shelf, whether I'm right in the front lines, learn to sit, walk, run, rest. It's all there. Time is a season. Time for walk. The time may go fishing. There's more. Do you realize that there's always the, the, the rest before the storm? Sometimes you can be in the eye of the storm and actually still be in the stillness in the midst of the storm. Everything is raging and flying around you, but you're actually in the eye of the storm. How would you like to be in the eye of the heart of God and everything around you is falling to bits and absolutely going to chaos and yet you are like a rock. You are so solidified in Christ that nothing really going to bother you. Oh, yep, yep. Yep, they all blew up. Yep, they're all they black. Said, oh, that's demonic. Oh, yep, that government's gone into stupidity again. Look at that stupid. Well, so what? It's all spinning around you. But the sons of Issachar knew the times and seasons. Do you have any clue what the times and seasons are? Are you leading or are you being led? Are you being led by fear or led by love? Do I look afraid? Do I look troubled? What you think of me? How are my preachings going? I really couldn't give a about it. I actually don't want to preach. I can't be bothered. Work it out yourself. I'm too old for it. Should be some other young buck up here having a go. I shouldn't have to be preaching. I know some of you'd love to grab the mic and have a go. Go ahead. What's your identity? You can do more for the kingdom of God by actually finding your identity in him than you'll ever do anywhere else. Most work is hay, straw and stubble. It's going to be consumed by fire. God looks at the quality of the work, not the quantity. Do you realize the reason why they prayed in the Moravians? wasn't for revival, wasn't to send out missionaries. They had dispute and, and upset amongst the brethren. Do you realize that's why the prayer meeting began? It wasn't to send out missionaries, it wasn't to save the world, it, which, which some preachers try and preach you. That's not the truth. They had dissension amongst the brethren on Zinzendorf's estate. They were arguing. How many know Christians do argue and get upset and get themselves all tied up in knots? And what do they do? Instead of arguing, instead of getting all stressed out, they, Zinzendorf and the boys called them to prayer. Then they realized it actually worked. <laughs> the dissension went, the upset went amongst the Christians, and they actually get on with God's business. Hear what God was saying, and that community wasn't a bunch of people just praying. They actually worked on farms and actually milked and, and did stuff with their hands. They actually worked 24-7 and actually kept prayer going 24-7 for 100 years. Be very careful you don't focus it upon one thing as the, the key to revival. You have no idea what God will do. I think half the time it's got nothing to do with our prayer, nothing to do with anything we do. God just says, right, here I come, look out. <laughs> and if you're rested enough and you recognize when his, when his day of visitation is, you'll actually see it. You'll be mostly shocked. Why would he come upon this messed up city? 
Some of the greatest keys is one heart that seeks the Lord. The eyes of the, the Lord look to one heart that's wholly devoted to Him. We got the simplicity of the song from a young girl. There it is. Lord, I surrender. You know, it has to have one person do that in a city. God can move the entire city. Will all the cities be saved? No, because He'll reign in one part of the city, not in another. The Bible tells us that. Can a nation be saved? Yes. Are all the nations going to be saved? No. They're going to be weighed in the balance. But if you have a theology to think they're all going to be saved and every city is going to be saved and every government's coming under the rule of Christ, you're going to be sorely disappointed. How many Caesars, kings, and did Jesus lead to the Lord? How many did Paul lead? How many did the apostles lead? That was the earlier reigns. Any questions? I'm going to finish about now. I've run out of notes. You can talk. How do you keep yourself humble? Trust me, the world, the church, and the, everything else will humble you. <laughs> the big thing is how to keep yourself from being bitter, upset, hurt, hardened heart, and hopeless. Those are usually... But anyhow, if you're still you're young enough to be going least down the word of humility. How many have still gone past that one? No. The, humble yourself under the hand of Almighty God, and He will exalt you. The key is, of course, your identity. The Lord opens doors, the Lord closes them. Thank God that he is the one who makes a way. And you need to be obedient to follow the way, the ancient pathways. Lord, show me. And humility is the key to grace. We're saved by grace, therefore the key is humility. If you remain humble, but humble people can get angry too. Moses did. He was the humblest man on earth. He got angry. So some of our greatest strengths can be our greatest weakness. Humility is part. We need the fire. We need the zeal. We need the courage. We need the heart after God, after David. We need all these different parts. We need the, the attributes of we see in all the saints of old. Work somehow into our spirit. But if grace is how we're saved and God gives grace to the humble, therefore that attitude of this before God is incredibly important. And one of the greatest tests is that when you do get lifted up and you do get acknowledged and you, people do want you and they want to hear from you, want to be prayed by you, how you remain humble in the midst of them, people uh, aspiring you and idolatrously lifting you up. That's a greater test. When you're a nobody, it's easy to stay humble. When you're a somebody, that's harder. I'm high and lifted up. My train fills the temple. They can't wait for me to come. I need bodyguards to lead me in. <laughs> Dear Lord, help us. Nameless, faceless, bunch of nobodies who are mighty in God, hold the keys of the kingdom, have personal revelation, carry authority, the heart of God, and are not unaware of the days we live in, and are not dumb enough to leave people down the garden path of false teaching, and into striving or being driven 
People have made millions of writing books about being driven. Thank God the shepherd of my soul doesn't drive me. <laughs> I know what it's like to have a, a, a sheep being driven. Sheep are led, not driven. Cattle are driven. What do you want to be? A shepherd of men's souls and drive them? Or do you want to lead them? And do you want to be in the front leading or do you want to be pushing people like cannon fodder into the killing fields of your theology? The greatest warriors were in the front line. They weren't in the back pushing the others with spears. They were in the front line. Do you want to have eternal fruit? Do you want to have something that goes into eternity? Or you just want to just sneak into heaven? It's up to you. Count the cost. Pay the price. There is a price behind the anointing. There's a price to pay. If you don't think there's a price to pay, you have no idea. It costs Jesus everything. And if you want to follow in the foots of the cross, it's going to cost you everything. If you want to sit there and do nothing, he still loves you. You still make it. Who cares? You can sit there and do nothing. You can be nominal, a, a pew sitter, uh, 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 and, and not be challenged by anybody. If you think you're going to wait for me to challenge you, don't hold your breath. You need God to challenge you into doing something for him, but not out of performance, not out of striving, but you've allowed him to go, I can't help but preach. I can't help but try and save the lost. It's just every part of me wants to do it. I'm a fisherman of men. I'll try and save fish all the time. I don't like people. I've actually learned to love them. <laughs> I didn't like people at all. I'll get Amanda Lighthouse. I loved solitude and loneliness. I love it. I love me and me and me and me. I love it. I'm quite happy. That's why God takes those ones and say, guess what? Here you go. Go and save the world. <laughs> you go, no, no, no. <laughs> they burn me out. I'm fish in a fishbowl. Anything can happen. A song can come from anywhere. A prophetic word. I remember I was in one meeting. Let's just finish with this. We've got, oh yeah, we've only got five minutes before they pull the bells. Um, it's great to preach for an hour and a half and you, an hour and a quarter? Yeah. It's gone, it's gone quick, hasn't it? I was in one meeting in a hotel, in Bedford Hotel down in Brighton, and I was looking there and I thought, gosh, this meeting's boring, and I'm preaching. <laughs> and God just said, ask anyone who wants the presence and power and fire of God upon them. Stand up. Well, no one stood up here. Anyhow, it's about the same. A couple of people stood up. One guy stood up over there and God said, oh, he's a, he's a David. I said, David. He said, how do you know my name? Well, God dropped the word David. I didn't have a clue that's his actual name. David, God's upon you. Can you come out in the aisle? So David stood up and came in the aisle. So just lift your hands up to heaven, David. <laughs> Lord, get them. Excellent. My hands, my hands are fire. Foom, flying. You, you want to get a shock? You had Anglicans and Methodists and Episcopalians and everyone. Eyes popping out of their heads. There goes David, flying on the ground. I'm on fire. I'm on fire. And I thought, well, that's, that looks like it could be God. 
One woman came running over to try and cast some demon out and said, no, 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 that's actually the Holy Spirit. You may not realise it, but so I went over and, and God gave me a whole bunch of prophecies on them or whatever. Came back about six months or a year later, I can't remember, from South Africa, all the Yarpies and Burrovors and Bilton, love it. And here is this, this man, David, you should remember me. I said, no, oh, yeah, yeah, you're the guys with the hand on fire. He said, do you know what happened? I said, not really. He said, well, when, I, when I, my hand was going back, I accidentally touched a young girl who had congenital hip disease, an au pair girl from some rich aristocrat, and the, my hand brushed past her as I fell to the ground. She was instantly healed of a congenital hip disease. <sighs> young au pair, not even saved. He said, then you prophesied over me that I'd be an, a, a painter. I said, did I? <laughs> <laughs> I said, what are you? He said, I'm a real estate agent. <laughs> I said, well, what, what the heck's happened? He said, well, I'd, tr- I'd, got, I'd felt the call of God. I'd gone to Bible school, done two years of it, and, the, and no one wanted to take me on staff and do anything. My wife was really upset. She's an engineer. I've, I've done two years. I've got no money. And I heard a jellyfish man who came back from the dead was coming to the Brighton pub. So I went down there. She said, I'm not coming. I'm ironing the clothes. I don't listen to some idiot. And so she said, I came home, hands on fire, you'd prophesied over me to be an, a, a painter, and I took it to be an artist. So I asked my wife if I could get some money from her, because we had none, from my account, to buy art gear to paint. I said, what did she do? She ignored me. <laughs> <laughs> For quite a while. Until one day at, a, at a, a, a party, I kept asking her, and she was concerned she was going to call the family doctor to see if he had snapped and gone Looney Tunes because he was just on this thing of painting. So I gave him the money and he went off and painted in the woodshed. I said, what happened, David? He said, do you want to have a look? So he pulls out these paintings, landscape, East Sussex, phenomenal, around Barkham, Lewis, going down to the Seven Sisters, phenomenal stuff. I said, what? He said, have you ever painted? He said, never painted before in my life. I said, what have you done? He said, I've opened an art gallery. <laughs> I said, you're joking. In Cookfield. I said, what? He said, people have been walking into him, and one woman stood there the other day, and she just burst into tears looking at my painting. I said, what was happening? Did you ask her? She said, well, I've been to the Louvre. I've been to the, the famous art galleries all around the world. But this painting that I'm looking at is just love coming off it. It's causing me to cry. I'm literally inundated with love. What's all that about? He said, well, I went to a meeting. My hands got on fire and a girl got healed. And I've been a, a real estate agent and, and I love Jesus. And that's the love of God. He said, now I've actually got a ministry from God where I'm actually in the world preaching to people off my art and actually making a living from it. And all it was is that you called my name out, prophesied over me, and one moment God has done this. I said, what are you doing? He said, can I travel with you? I said, yeah. So he started traveling with me. I said to him, Dave, have you got anything? One day he said, yeah, I see, I think it was three men he said, I see a, a birthmark, like a heart shape, raised on the right hand between the thumb and forefinger in this meeting. I've got a word for them. I said, that's great. He said, there are three of them. <laughs> I said, David, there's maybe only 50 people in this meeting. He said, God showed me there's three with a heart raised birthmark on that area. Here we are. 
Over there. Out of this world. It was out of this world. I could feel the power on that one. And he, he then said, I was told by God to call a man to, in the spirit to the meeting. We were having up in Lewis in the pub upstairs in the White Horse pub in Lewis. He said, I was calling him in the spirit. Turns out this Jewish man was in London, uh, walking around. He's hearing the voice say, you must go to Lewis. You must go to Lewis. He shook it off. He said, no, I'm going to see my girlfriend in Brighton. No. And he got to the transition where he then took the train and went down to Lewis. He got out. He said, I'm here. He said, walk up the hill. Walked up the hill. David was told by God as he was preaching on Sunday, call the man's name out. David. He was sitting down in the stairwell of the pub and David kept calling. There were about 15 people in the meeting and they were all saved. And he was calling this man and this Jewish man swung the doors open and said, It's me. I've been hearing this voice all day calling me to God and to come to Lewis. And some of you need to call some of your lost family and loved ones in the spirit. Call them. My father couldn't get saved. God said, stop praying for him. Pray for all his friends and all he knows saved. Then all of dad's friends got started getting saved. So if you've got unsaved loved ones, start calling out to save all their friends, all the people they work with, all the people they know. My brother couldn't believe it. <laughs> One of his best friends, a totally whacked out doper, it was in Tiaraha, and he heard the God say, go into that church right now. Completely stoned off his face, he walked into the Baptist church in Tiaraha, walked up to the altar and got saved. We desperately need to hear the word of the Lord. We desperately need to know there's resurrection power, there's always hope, there's always miracles that can take place. Tap into hearing him, bring it forth, and allow that to change people's lives. Hear the small, still voice of the Spirit. Ask the Lord to catch you up, to get some authority, get revelation and encounter with Him so that you are above all the world's confusion, all the noise and all the racket. So have authority from heaven. Get caught up in the Spirit and get above the sound barrier of noise and get to hear the small voice of the Lord. Try and find how your identity is rooted in His love and truly come to that place of rest. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thus finishes the sermon. <laughs> what do we do with it? I have no idea. So let's do it. Yep, and as I just said, I just feel, well... God can do resurrection. Now, we just prayed for one of the members of this church who's just passed. Remember, Stephen? Jane and I felt the Lord, you know, we got asked, asked, asked to come and pray for him at 2 in the morning, between 2 and 3, lay hands upon his feet and his head. And I was half expecting him to come alive right there on the spot. Come on, how, people say, you raise the dead. Absolutely. How do you raise the dead? Go and pray for someone who's dead. Heal the sick, pray for someone who's sick. <laughs> See cancers go, pray for someone with cancer. Deaf ears, pray for someone with deaf ears, the ears are open. Eyes, I've seen deaf ears open, I've seen blind eyes, I've seen quadriplegics stand up and walk, I've seen cancer go. How? Because I prayed for it. So if you need a miracle in your body, a supernatural, radical, unbelievable miracle, stand. 
Yeah, just healing to start with a healing miracle. Let's just go. Come on. Who are you? I don't care who you are. <laughs> come on. Spirit of God's here. Just raise your hand up to him. It's going to come from him. Those who, who, who don't need a miracle but see people who do need a miracle, reach your hand out to them. Come on, reach out in faith, reach out in power. Ask God to anoint your hands, anoint your body with fire and with presence. And we ask nothing less than a miracle, absolute miracle. Come on, Christians, get up and move. Christians who are seated who don't need a miracle, get up and move. You go and ask God who I can lay hands upon, who I can pray for. And if you feel I've got nothing, that's good. So ask God, forgive me for my unbelief. Forgive me for my lack of faith. That's a good start. But we ask for the power, the fire, the resurrection, anointing of God to touch our loved ones and friends, absolute men and women of God who need a miracle. <sighs> Let that miracle come, Lord. We put the axe of the Spirit to the root of every cancer, every sickness, every disease. We curse it right to its root. And we release resurrection power. Resurrection power. It brings life, Lord. It brings life. It's a river of life. It's eternal life. It brings that which is dead back to life. Lord, let it move right now. Touch our loved ones. Touch our friends. Touch this body with healing. Use our hands. Lay hands on the sick and they shall be healed. We believe in you, Lord, for that miracle healing. Why not now? Why not today? In Jesus' precious name. Kiara Mahasiata Sequoia. Yeshuri Amasikia. Let these bodies come under the authority and the power and the majesty of Jesus. Let His hand move through our hands. Let His fire burn up all the dross. Let these vessels come back into divine health, divine wholeness. From the tip of their head to the base of their feet. Go and pray for others if there are other people that need prayer. But don't, don't stand back just praying for one person. Go and pray for someone else. Release your faith. Release the anointing. Release the power of God. And we thank you, Lord. Out of great love, out of great compassion, you heal the sick. You did miracles. Your blood has life in it. Let your blood wash through, bringing life wherever it goes. There is resurrection life in the power of the blood of Jesus. More power, Lord. More of your love. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you. Let resurrection power flow through, right through, Lord. Lord, we have years in front of us, years of life. Immerse them in your pools of healing. 
immerse them in your healing oil and set them on fire. We bless people. Break every curse, every judgment. And Lord, we thank you. There's power. There's power. Power in the blood of Jesus. Power in the name of Jesus. And infirmity and sickness must go. Absolute divine health, Lord. No more death. No more. Life. Lord, we lift our eyes up. Where does our help come from? You, creator of heaven and earth. So lift up your eyes. And Lord, we are the planting of the Lord. We lift up our eyes. Let life flow, healing, fruitfulness. Let every cell, every organ come under the authority of the truth and word of God. Health is our portion. Our cup will overflow with goodness all the days of our life. Let our vessels come into alignment with divine health and healing in Jesus' precious name. Jesus' precious and holy name. Let them receive the fullness of your resurrection power. The fullness, Lord. More, Jesus. Do any of the prophets have any words they feel to bring? Any songs, any words from the Lord? Don't, don't be shy to come forward. You don't have to be here 20 years to hear from God. <laughs> Could know you five minutes and know that you love Jesus. That's enough. So keep lifting your hands. Some of you are still the anointing still on. You just lift up and say, Lord, I need another wave. I need another wave. I need, like I need you. Don't settle for being half fooled. Grab hold of that scepter and let the authority of Christ come. It's a golden scepter. And there's a golden, there's golden oil there too. 
he pours out that golden oil of glory and then he ignites you and sets you on fire. It's in Zechariah. Shaya Mata Sakia. Shaya Damasakia. And there's authority over nations. Authority over cities. Because God's got authority over all mankind. How much authority do you want? How obedient do you want to be? How much of the price you're willing to pay? Come out of your cave. Come out of hiding. Those who have been given much, much is required. So Lord, we call them, those that are called, we given much, we call them back into the battle. Call them back into destiny. We call them back into the house. We call them out in Jesus' name that have been hiding from insecure leaders who have hunted them down like David. We call them out of the wilderness. We call them out of their caves prophetically and call them back to life. It's an exceedingly great army, the Bible says, and we prophesy to them that these bones will live and this great army will come back to power. In Jesus' mighty name, Lord, bring them back to life. Let them grab hold of the life that they've known in the Spirit. And let you've called them here for such a time as this. Help them to know where they're to be planted. Help them to know where they're to be working in, the, in this last day, in time, harvest. In Jesus' mighty name. And if it's to be here, Lord, establish them. Uh, root them and ground them in relationship and friendship and fellowship. If not, Lord, you move them to where they're supposed to be. In Jesus' precious name. You know how to move, and we want to move with you. With you, Lord, to know the time and seasons that we're in. In Jesus' name. Um, in the prayer meeting this morning, a man brought up, a, a, talking about an aeroplane, taking off. And when it got into flight, it got, went through a period of time where it was shaking. And it went a bit higher and higher. And you got to a point, when you get to that point of it stops shaking. Yeah. And then there's a calm. The Lord was sort of saying to me that he's talked to every one of us about things in our life that he's challenged us with. And those are the times he's shaking. Those are the things he's talked to you about personally. You know what they are. God's spoken to you about them. You know, it's like those things you try and give up and you can't. You try your best and you can't. Those are the things he's talking about. But he wants to take you to a place where you'll come to a point where you'll come into a place of rest. But you've got to go for the shaking. You've got to go for the stuff that God has challenged you with. He's challenged you with. You all know what it is. I know what it is for me. And that's right on, because the word is what can be shaken will be shaken. And it's God who does the shaking because he's an all-consuming fire, isn't he? Judgment starts first in the house of God. He's shaking us, but not to write us off. <laughs> He's shaking us to prepare us for this last day. So we can stand, having done all, stand. We work while it's still light.
excellent. Excellent. Um, all morning, so this, I just want to show you a picture. Um, some of you have heard me talk about this man. This, this is my Uncle Bill. That's Uncle Bill. Uh, he was the one, uh, so that's Uncle Bill and that's my Auntie Robin beside him. Uncle Bill was a drug dealer, uh, got deported from Australia for being a drug dealer and a drug addict. Um, my Auntie Robin, she was euphemistically an exotic dancer. And when I became a believer, uh, I read Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved, you and your household. And, you know, the gospel started spreading through my family, but I didn't know about Uncle Bill. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I think it's time for us to take action to follow the promptings of the Lord with regard to people in our world that don't know the Lord. And so I, one day, I just felt like the Lord said, write him a letter. So I hand wrote to my Uncle Bill a letter with my testimony of how I'd become a follower of Jesus. And I sent it to him. And anyway, he became a follower of Jesus, read my letter and became a follower of Jesus, supernaturally came off the methadone that he'd been on for more than a quarter of a century. And so anyway, the reason I'm telling you this is uh, three or four weeks ago, I had a divine appointment where I wound up preaching in a church in Upper Hutt that I'd never been to in my life. And while I was there, I was halfway through preaching and the Lord said, tell them about Uncle Bill. So I was telling them about Uncle Bill. And this lady rudely interrupted me and she started, she started calling out. And when you're preaching that, you know, it gives you a bit of a fright because you don't know what's going on at first. And she's going, is that Bill Williams? And I said, yes, it was. And it turned out that my Uncle Bill had led that lady to the Lord out of a life of drugs and prostitution. And she just stood up in the middle of the service and gave a testimony that Uncle Bill and Auntie Robin had led her to the Lord. How did Uncle Bill and Auntie Robin get led to the Lord? Through the weakness of me just prayerfully writing a little letter to them because I didn't have the guts to go and tell them about Jesus, so I wrote it down. It's time to send, I believe, that, I believe this prophetically, it's time to send the invitation. Not to church, to Jesus. It's time to send the invitation. We are in days of great shaking, and it's time to send the invitation. It's time, to, it's time for the church to be both to come and see. Come and see. The, the disciples said, they said, hey, Philip, come and see. But then there's also the, uh, no, Nathaniel, come and see. But then there's also the go and tell. So we've got to, we've got to be willing to do both. Interestingly enough, I, um, I, uh, I really enjoyed what Ian had to say. I really did. I really did. He does that to me sometimes when we're fishing, often when he's filleting the fish, which means he's got a sharp knife in his hand. <laughs> Listen, those of you that you've been a part of this church for a while, we went through all that for a reason. If you don't know what, I, what the, that is, don't worry about it. But we went through that for a reason. It's time to issue the invitations. Catherine, are you loitering with intent? You don't have a word? Okay, just checking. So how many, of you, how many of you just received prayer for some form of healing? Do any of you notice a distinct change? Is there a change? Give us a wave. Is there a change? There is with Anna. Praise God. 
there is with Elaine? Praise God. Now, I know Anna and I know Elaine, and neither of them are the sort of people that are going to say, make something up for the sake of, praise God. Praise God. We go, praise God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then every one of us that maybe we didn't have that, remember the Bible says we rejoice with those who rejoice. So we go, hallelujah, thank you. You are still the God who heals and you've not forgotten me. Hallelujah. We're going to eat soup together. And we're also going to receive an offering for Ian and Jane. So uh, back there at the desk there, you can take all your money and, uh, and give it to Steve or someone who will be behind the desk there. And let's make sure that, uh, that Ian and Jane receive an honorarium, not a dishonorarium, for being with us today. Now you say, well, but they're a part of the fellowship. Yeah, they are. So that's why we should do that. All right? They don't receive uh, an income any other way. Oh, hang on. Now Jane is loitering with intent. Yeah, I am. Um, when we came two years ago, God had spoken to me that it was a new season. And I walked in, and that was the first sermon that I ever heard Kristen speak. He said, it's a new season. Come up here. And that's been a word that's been rolling out and rolling out for me. It started out individually, then felt it was really for the church, and then for the nation. That came in January. But a few weeks ago, I, I just felt, I heard, it's a new age. And there's been a transition. As I, I could hear Jesus speaking to his disciples, saying, Lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. And I kind of thought, okay, well, and, and, and behold, I am coming soon, he said. So they were expecting him to come soon. Well, that was 2,000 years ago, right? And I think every generation has felt that. But I felt there was a crossing over. It's like where, lo, I am with you to the end of the age. And I felt like we've come into that end of the age, however long that is. But I think we, it's him who will carry us through. He will be with us. And I think there's a call to step it up because in this end of age, he wants to do a whole lot more. And I think just the message today about surrender about rest. Rest is not doing nothing, but it's relaxing in him and moving with him. Amen. Awesome. That's very good. So who's got an Uncle Bill that they can write to or send a text message to? Who's got... Your Uncle Bill? You've got an Uncle Bill? Is, it, is his name Bill? Well, Lord, we pray for Bill that Bill would come to know you, Lord. That, Lord, you would show uh, uh, Carolyn and the family around what to do. But, Lord, we pray that this man, Bill, would become a wholehearted follower of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. I just, um, uh, so, uh, the th we, you know, we've never done themes before, and we did that theme in June about Elijah and Mount Carmel. This month it was the Testimonies of Fire. 
And I thought my head was going to fly off, Ian, when you started, particularly towards the end there, where you started sharing testimonies of the, you know, the hip being healed and then the artist and all that. You're just like, oh my gosh, come on, God. Um, next month's theme, so um, I'll give this to Ken in a moment because he needs to say grace and tell us where we're going to be for next week. Next month's theme is, uh, is actually, prior to hearing what Ian said today, is resurrection life. And so it's Lazarus, the man, who, first one, Lazarus, the man who died and was raised, but then died again. Jesus, the man who was raised and became a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then the great resurrection at the end of the age, the resurrection of the dead, the first and second resurrection. So resurrection life for the month of August, that probably sounds like a pretty good way to bounce off what we've heard today.